Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and it's a very warm welcome, first time in the book club, to street artist, uh, demon editor and all-round misty expert, it's Sarah Harris. Sarah, welcome to the book club. Thank you very much. Hello. So, Sarah, we're going to start, as ever, with comics origin stories or 2000 AD origin stories. Now, if I've got this right from you being on Tony Esmond's podcast, didn't you have like a choice between 2000 AD and Misty? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, so my origin stories are kind of kind of linked for them both. So, yeah, 2000 AD, I was lucky enough to get that from, from issue one or prog one because my dad was a huge science fiction fan and he was kind of trying to bring me up in his image because he'd given up on having a boy. I was the last of the daughters. Um, so I was the, I was his token son. So he, I was the one that got taken to football and got taken to the science fiction bookshops and got taken to his CD photography club where we all got to take pictures of topless models and stuff when I was a 10 year old girl, very inappropriate. Um, so yeah, so I was, I was, I was the token boy. Um, and my dad, he, he disapproved of comics. He thought they were childish. But when I saw, like, the ad on telly for the first, like, 2000 AD and started begging him for it, I think I was nine then, and I basically just wanted the Frisbee, um, he, he decided it was sci-fi enough. He thought he'd allow it. He thought that it might encourage me to, like, read more proper books. So, uh, so yeah, I got it delivered weekly from that point with the newspapers. I can remember the excitement of it coming through the door once a week and everything. Um, but yeah, Misty launched, I looked it up actually, pretty much exactly a year later in February 78. So by then I was like 10 going on 11 in the last year of juniors, just about getting ready to take the leap up to big school. And my big school was an all-girls grammar school in this old gothic-looking building in Essex. Would have fitted right into Misty. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think i know i saw a print advert for it and i think it might even have been in 2000 ad because i think that makes some sense because like fleetway and ipc was like pretty much they were connected weren't they they were the same thing and i think so i think they were both the same the same publisher so i suppose it makes sense that i might have seen an advert in 2000 ad or i certainly saw it somewhere it was definitely in print i can still see it in the head and i remember getting really excited about it and i asked if i could get misty as well but yeah my dad was tight um <laughs> and he he'd only let me have one comic although i think that was an excuse i think basically it was because misty was like for girls and it wasn't sci-fi he, he was just anti anyway so i think the whole you've got to choose was hoping that i'd choose to stay with 2000 ad but i was an awkward little so so as a child so i knew it would wind him up if i switched so uh, i said okay if i can only have one i'll have misty then thank you very much so uh so yeah i i switched over for the life of Misty being Misty, which was about two years, and then I went back to 2008 after that. And I didn't regret it because Misty was fantastic, but I would have liked to have been able to have both had had I been allowed. <laughs> of course, yeah. And you, But you were there for the whole Misty ride, the two years running. The whole pro- proper Misty run. Um, when it sort of merged with Tammy, I, uh, I refused to follow it out of principle. I had principles even at the age of 12. Um, because Tammy was a proper girls comic and like I'm like I'm not reading that nonsense but yeah so so I only I only read it while it was just standalone misty before it was merged in 
And of course, you know, you mentioned the the frisbee, the space spinner on 2000 AD. Misty also had its cover yeah. gifts, and I've heard you tell the story. <laughs> well, tell us about the cover gifts that you remember. Okay, well, yeah, yeah, the first three I think had gifts, um, which I think was like pretty much the thing at the time, wasn't it? The first three issues of anything you get a cover gift, and we got so excited, even though they were just cheap, nasty little nonsense. I don't think the world was quite as swamped with like plastic throwaway tat in those days. So like it was actually like a real treat to get like a little pointless <laughs> present on the front of a comic. Um, so yeah, so the first three, the first one was like a charm bracelet with a fish on it. And I can't remember there being any connection to any of the stories inside. So why it had a charm bracelet with a fish on it, I'm not really sure. Um, I don't remember being particularly excited about that one. Then the third one, I'll skip the second, we'll come back to that. The third one was this like cardboard fortune teller type contraption. It was ludicrously complicated. You had to like write all these things down and then move bits about and fold bits in and stuff. And it told you, you know, your fortune. And that was fun. But yeah, the second one was the one that I got really obsessed with. So like for various reasons, like it was a ring with a black cat on it and it was one of those rings like any 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 girls listening will know what i mean you might not but it was basically flat pressed out of a bit of brass yeah so it's like an elongated oval and then you would like wrap it around your own finger and squeeze it to fit you yeah. know depending on how fat or thin the finger was it was one of those and it had a black cat design on it and the black cat design was from the story that debuted in issue two which was called cult of the cat which was an amazing story. And I completely blame that story for my like subsequent lifelong obsession with creepy cult stories. Cause like, that's like one of my favorite genres of story. And that's because of cult of the cat, because that was this, this girl who discovered this cult that they were worshiping, like the Egyptian goddess, Bast, the cat goddess. And there was all sorts of things, sacrifices going on also it was it was it was great so i loved i loved this ring now we weren't allowed to wear jewelry to school and basically i, I loved this ring so much that i sort of risked the wrath of the teachers every day and i would wear that ring until a teacher spotted it at some point during the day and i'd get it confiscated and i have to pick it up at the end of class and then i put it back on the next morning and so on so i kept wearing it until it literally broke because as i say they weren't precision engineers they were pretty cheap nasty pieces of tech and so it because you to sort of take it on and off I was like kind of opening it and closing it it just snapped in half but I knew that there was one other girl at my school who I didn't even know that well but I knew that she was reading Misty as well and I'd never seen her wearing the ring so I figured she couldn't be that attached to it <laughs> but I knew she must have one somewhere so I basically like half begged half bullied her until she uh agreed to sell it to me i can't remember how much for it wouldn't have been a lot 5p i don't know um and so then i had another one and i wore that until that one broke and then i ran out of people to uh to mug <laughs> for, for spares and so uh so yeah i don't have it anymore but yeah I, I honestly i can you know how childhood memories are yeah i can kind of feel it on my finger if i think about it you know like I, it's that much of a memory i can sort of feel it wrapped around my finger i love that love that thing 
<laughs> Fantastic. I think they must have had a storeroom somewhere with all these gifts in them. And editors, I think, were given permission, you know, to go and raid to see what they had. And they would, um, as you say, they sometimes tried to tie them into the stories. Uh, the fish yeah. one seems weird, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just like maybe it was like supposed to be one of those, you know, those lucky fortune telling fish used to get in Christmas crackers. Oh, yeah. I think it yeah. was supposed to be one of them. It's like, but it didn't actually do the flapping about. It was just a plastic fish. But I think that was the connection because obviously, uh, like there was a sort of a character that was like looked at a crystal ball. So fortune telling and stuff like that, that was often a theme in Misty. So I think that was the very loose, loose connection. Talking of themes, I looked up on Wikipedia. I thought, let's see what Wiki says about Misty and their summary of the plots of Misty is brilliant. And this totally sums up why I love this comic so much. So their summary was, Packs with the devil, schoolgirl sacrifice, the ghosts of hanged girls, sinister cults, evil scientists experimenting on the innocent, and terrifying parallel worlds where the Nazis won the Second World War. I mean, that that is what 10-year-old me was reading and lapping up. In the same way that you look back at 2018 and think, I can't believe they were putting this in front of eight-year-old boys. Yeah, Misty was, you know, it, it, it went to some really dark places. Yeah. It was brilliant. I mean, with that tagline, I'm wondering why we weren't all reading it at the time. Um, yeah. Exactly, you should have been. You, you guys missed out. We did. You really did. Well, let's stick you, with You Miss- do see a lot of people saying that they, they sneakily read their sister's yes. sort of issues, don't you? Yeah, so I, I, think, I think boys who had access to it and realised how good it was probably read it on the sly. So, well, let's stick with Misty and turn to today's book, which I sort of um, yes. twisted your arm into covering. What's what's the book we're going to feature? Okay, well, it is um, Misty Presents, the, and I don't even know how to pronounce this, the Jaume Rumio collection. He's got about 15 different aliases, this guy, hasn't he? He has. He goes by several and, names, uh, but that's, yeah. I think that'll do, and it's Jaume Rumio. Yeah. So this is a Treasury of British Comics trade from last year. Yes. As you say, this originally appeared in Misty in 1978, uh, although there's also some stories from when it crossed over into Tammy and Misty, which I'm guessing are the um, the standalone stories at the end of the book. Um, no, the two standalones I remember, they were from proper Misty, as oh, I right. shall call it. The, the one that was in the Tammy-Misty crossover was the second of the two long-form stories. So, you know, you've got... Oh, the Spider-Woman. Black Widow and the Spider-Woman. Yeah, the Spider-Woman was the one that was in the Tammy uh, crossover. Right. Yeah. So a few a few years later. So the main story is written by Bill Harrington, art by Jaume Rumo, Rumio Pereira, but also known as Homero, which we might stick with calling him Homero, which was like his pen name, I think, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, edited by Malcolm Shaw, Bill Harrington and Wilf Prigmore and of course this collection edited by Keith Richardson, uh, Oliver Pickles and Olivia Hicks. So before we get on to the whole of um, this story, I mean you've already sort of done the Misty recap, two years from 78 to 80 and then it was in, was it, what is it in Tammy you said it was folded into? Yeah, folded into Tammy, yeah, which was a weird it was it was an odd mix because Tammy was a much much more traditional girls weekly. So the like one of the reasons that 
apart from all the, you know, the child sacrifice and stuff, one of the reasons I really loved Misty was that it never or almost never had traditional girl stories, which were like girls mooning after boys and you know, stuff like that. In fact, there were you hardly ever saw a boy in Misty. Like the, the, the goodies and the baddies were almost always female. It would have passed the Bechdel test every week. Um, so, there, yeah, there were no like romance stories, whereas Tammy was a much more traditional comic. So like more sort of, you know, traditional romance stories and like little articles on sort of, you know, like how to do your eyeliner to attract a man and stuff like that. And I hated all that nonsense. Um, so it was a, it was an odd mix when they mixed them together. And that's why I sort of didn't follow it, because I couldn't really see how they were going to work together. It was very different audiences, I think those two comments sure yeah um let's i mean i know it's not necessarily one of your favorite stories from from misty but it's the collection that's most recently out so let's just do the story can you give us the sort of outline of the black widow story and the follow-up yeah i mean the black widow one i think is the is the is the stronger of the two um like I've, I've got to admit, I didn't i mean i must have read the black widow the first time around because it was like summer 78 but it, I, it didn't really stick in my mind. So it was, def- it was interesting to read it again because it, it felt, you know, completely fresh, really, because I don't really have any recollection of it the first time. Um, so, yeah, both the, uh, the, the longer form stories in the book, uh, both written by Bill Harrington and both featuring the same villain. So the mysterious Mrs. Webb with two Bs, like Cliff Richard. He's yeah. the Webb, isn't he? He is. Um, so, so, yeah, and the stories of the Black Widow and the Spider Woman. So, yeah, in the first one, uh, and as I say, I think it's the stronger of the two. You've got like a fairly standard Misty setup, which is two schoolgirl protagonists, one of whom's blonde and a bit of a goody-goody. The other one's got dark hair. She's a bit more street smart and, and not quite as nice. And you've got that sort of pairing in a lot of the, a lot of the stories. The good girl's always blonde. I was always the goody-goody, but I always wanted to be the other one because <laughs> they were more interesting. Um, so Sadie is our good girl. She wants to be a scientist. Uh, and one night, so she's got a new telescope that she bought secondhand down the market because our heroines are always in Misty, are always working class. They're never rich. Um, they, they, never, they, they never have money. So she's, she's got the secondhand telescope and she spots a low flying comet going over like the woods near her house, which is raining down these tiny little capsules about two inches long. And somehow she manages to walk out of her house within five minutes, find one, even though they're clearly like there's only about 100 of them and they've like fallen over like sort of, you know, a 40 mile square mile radius. But she manages to find one. She treads on it, squashes the little spider inside, takes the squashed but still breathing spider to her science teacher who can't identify it because clearly it's a mysterious alien spider. Next couple of days, it grows at like an impossible rate. So it's like more than doubling in size every day. And then... Then we meet our villainess. Then we cut over to our villainess, the Black Widow. She's aware that one of her special spiders is missing and she vows to track it down and punish whoever's like keeping it, keeping it a prisoner. And I mean, that all happens in the first three pages because they didn't do decompression in those days. There's a lot going on. So I can't summarize the rest of it to the same level of detail because there's a lot going on. But in short, it turns out that this Black Widow and her costume and hair design is spectacular. Uh, we'll come back to that in a bit. She is literally a widow. So her husband was in the armed forces and he died as part of some sort of dodgy, unspecified, vague military experiment gone wrong. 
and she's gone a bit like crazy with grief and she wants revenge against all soldiers, all scientists, all all sort of statesmen, like pretty much everybody really. Yeah. And all her revenge is, is, is specifically spider-based. Um, so she lives in this grand mansion full of really cool spider stuff. I love the design of the house. So she's got spider robots, giant webs, very futuristic spider computer consoles, well, futuristic for 1978 anyway. And she dresses in this very slinky spider web gown and styles her hair in the shape of a spider and sits on a spider-shaped throne, surrounds herself with thousands of live spiders. So presumably that's all the others that fell from the comet. Although that never really gets satisfactorily explained, I realised on my second read, because later... She says she bred the special deadly spiders herself. So why did they end up falling from a comet? She why were they in space? On Earth, yes. <laughs> sent them to space to come back. They never explain that bit. Makes no sense. Anyway, but yes, yeah, so she's surrounded by spider stuff. She's clearly really into spiders. And she ends up hypnotizing our two schoolgirls, Sadie and Frida. But she gives them the code names Tara and Tula, which I rather like because it's Tara and Tula, Tarantula. And she uses them, once hypnotised, to take the deadly spiders that came from space for no reason. And she plants them on this senior soldier, like a general, that she wants to kill off to start her revenge. After that, it all gets a bit out of control. Giant escaped spiders emerging from sewers, terrorising London, all that. Which I really like those scenes where there's the, the, the big spider like chasing the, the bobby through the London street. And then we've got the big chase to catch and stop the uh, the villain. And then the whole thing ends with a classic, phew, it's all over, or is it? <laughs> kind of dun, cliffhanger. Dun, dun. Uh, exactly. With our, so our villainess escapes and one little spider is shown to still be alive on the final page. So so that's that's where that first story's left. Um, and yeah, like I don't remember it from the first time around, so it can't have been one of my absolute favourites. But I quite enjoyed that one, like on a on a second read, a lot more than I enjoyed the Spider Woman, which was the second one, the one they put in Tammy, which is just daft. Yeah. And I'm not going to go into great detail about that, other than the fact that there's a girl on a desert island and her nan and granddad inexplicably wear really weird clothes, and then Mrs. Webb's there again, and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I didn't think that second story was as strong. They have a weird <laughs> taste in hats to the grandparents, don't they? Yes, I know. I mean, like he's got like almost like a wee willy winky sleeping, Edwardian sleeping cap on. But like during the day for no reason and the, like sort of lots of stripes and it's a very odd story and it's sort of it was obviously serialised for like like normal as normal with these like four pages a week for ten weeks, twelve weeks, or whatever. But it kind of just seems to go round and round in circles and not really get anywhere, doesn't it? It does, yes. Yeah. The art is beautiful, though. I mean, it's it's beautifully drawn, but it, yeah. <laughs> I well, don't think. Well, let's talk about the art. Let's talk about Joan Romero Pereira, also known by his sort of signature pen name as Romero. Uh, 1930 to 2003, Spanish artist, Spanish comics, inevitably worked for one of the big European art, or in fact, a few of the big European art agencies, including Bardon and Ali, uh, over here known for his work on Misty and Tammy. What did you make of this black and white art for these stories? I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I like the art probably more than the stories, to be honest. So, um, I mean, because, I mean, both the stories veered off into 
places where they didn't make an awful lot of sense. But what it did do, I think, was I think it gave the artist the opportunity to go like proper batshit mental with his character and environment designs. He clearly had a ball with it, I think. Every scene in Mrs. Webb's crazy spider mansion is just a feast. There's so much going on, so many fun details. And I love like sort of the way he shades things and the way he cross hatches things. And he draws beautiful people, lovely faces, really, really good anatomy. He's clearly technically a very good artist. The only thing I will say is that her face, the villainess's face, isn't desperately consistent from page no. to page. Like she doesn't always to me look like the same person. But because she's got that crazy the spider hairdo, you can always tell it's her. So maybe you just didn't have to try so hard to make the faces match. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really, really enjoyed the art. I, I think he had so much fun with it. That's, you know, that, that's that's the thing. It lo- looks like he really enjoyed drawing it. To me, yeah, maybe not all those tiny, tiny little spider webs and tiny, tiny little spiders. That must have been a bit boring. But the rest, I think he enjoyed. There's a lot of spiders on the page sometimes, aren't there? I mean, hundreds and thousands. There are a lot of spiders. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can imagine just like huffing and puffing as he like sort of did some of those sort of title pages with so many spiders on. As you (laughs) say. You know, he he didn't skimp on them. You know, he went for it. Yeah, he does. He puts them all in there. And as you say, when he gets, when they're in Madam Webb's sort of mansion, it goes full-on spider web craziness, doesn't it? I mean, there's some wonderful pages. Definitely, definitely. It's, it's yeah, I, I, I mean, again, it's one of those ones where you try and, as you're walking around it, like, as you see more and more rooms, try and work out what the floor plan of this house could possibly be. <laughs> and I don't think he uh, worried too much about that. But, I mean, there's so much going on. My favourite bit is that, like, old sort of, like, you know, computer command console she's got with her. and I, I love that it's just it's just brilliant it's fantastic and um like so the other bat cave filled with spiders instead of bats the spider cave yeah um the other thing that i sort of associate both girls comics and european artists with is sort of very good hair um, particularly on, on you know, yes. Madame Webb, but also on the, the young schoolgirls and so on. Um, you know, it all they all look great, actually, yes. the haircuts, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're very 70s. Yes. And there's, there's, there's no doubting the era that it's from. But, yeah, the, the, the hair is, is beautifully rendered. And the faces as well. I think the faces are lovely. And, you know, we've got an introduction to this book by David Roach, no less, uh, of course, who was a great fan of the European artists, the Spanish yeah. artists. Um, and you can see it in his own work, I think, when he draws Judge Anderson and so on. Yeah, I was about to say that. He, he also draws a very uh, beautiful female face and form. Yes, he does. Um, I'll also mention, I mean, you know, as you say, you've got the spiders. Is it what, What's the second story called? Uh, Spider the Spider Woman. Woman, yeah, Spider Woman, second story. We've got two standalone stories at the back of the book. Uh, spend, spend, yeah. spend, and I've forgotten what the other one is. Oh, the other one's the one about the um, the fancy dress party. <laughs> dress to kill. Dress party. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, and I remember that one from like I re- that one. I remember better than than the. Uh, this is web stories but i do remember that one from when i was younger yeah 
I mean, interestingly, they don't know the writer yeah, on those could... two stories, but it is uh, it is Homero or Jean Rumeau um, doing the art on those two as well. And the um, the fancy dress one is particularly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can see why you remember that one. Actually, it's got a good, you know a nice twist in it. That one hasn't it? Yeah, that one. It's got a good twist. Yeah, Misty did really good, like little sort of you know their versions of future shots. I suppose they 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 always had like one or two of those little. Uh, short stories and a lot of them had great twists and they've given us some back matter as well we've got essays at the back about misty uh and these stories from book club of julia round uh garrett darcy john myers and ian horton so you know we've recently been lamenting that some of the treasury books don't include any introductions or back matter they've given us plenty in this one which is nice yes it's all very uh, academic. I always feel a bit stupid when I read things like that because they, they spot things that I, I when I read a, a comic, I'm just kind of enjoying the story and not analysing it too much. And then I read stuff like that and I think, oh, maybe I ought to be reading my comics with more of a intelligent, critical eye because I always feel that they've spotted all this stuff that just didn't even occur to me. But, yeah, they're very uh, well thought through essays yeah, much more intelligent than anything I could come up with. <laughs> well, I, but they don't seem to uh, explain the grandparents' hats to me, but never mind. <laughs> um, no, exactly. That's, that's, that's the mystery we really needed solving. Yeah. Let me widen you out into the, the rest of Misty then. You know, this two-year comic, which uh, another one of Pat Mills' sort of Kickstarters in a way, um, you, know, you know, he would sort of wind these things up and set them off and then leave others to sort of carry on the work. Um, what were your favourites from yeah. those two years of creepy comics? Oh, oh I, I, I've written some down because I thought if I just started, I'd just talk forever. So, <laughs> like... My, like as you know, because I know that you listened to uh, that that thing I did with Tony, um, my absolute sort of greatest of all time goat mystery story, without doubt, is the Sentinels. So it's that's the uh, alternate reality Nazi story that Wikipedia were alluding to in their little summary earlier. It's like I can only describe it as a much cooler working class tower block version of Goodnight Sweetheart, but with lots more Nazis and lots more viciousness. So. It's got graffiti and swastikas and helicopter chases and meeting your own alternate timeline double and giant sewer rats and everything, you name it. It's just and a plucky schoolgirl heroine, of course. And it's just it's just absolutely brilliant. It's it's stuck with me my whole life. You know, whenever people have asked me, you know, sort of for the last four decades since what my favorite sort of comic story is, that's like sort of the first thing. That I, that I always mention to everybody because it's it, it had such an effect on me. I've never read anything like it. And that, because I, th- I think it started in issue two. So it's one of the early, early stories of Misty. So like, so I haven't, I think as, as Misty went on, because there was so much ridiculousness in it, that like maybe it wouldn't have had such a big effect late, later down the line, but it was, at the time, it was just like nothing I'd ever read, and it was fantastic. And it, it sent me off on a on a hunt for like more and more and more alternate history stories. That's another thing that I've I've always really enjoyed ever since. Uh, you know, so, I've, so yeah, it, it it was great. So I mean, like other ones that have stayed 
with me. Like in the very, very first issue, the the short twist story was like a, a folk horror tale called Roots. Oh, about, yes, I remember oh, that one. Yeah, yeah. And that one, I mean, that one like freaked me out. I, I think I actually had nightmares about that one. So that's another one where like, you know, the final panel of that story I could draw it for you, like you know, because I mean, I don't have I I don't have much of a visual imagination or memory. Like I I have like a touch of that a fantasia thing, so I'm not very good normally at picturing things. But that I can still see. That's like burnt onto my brain. <laughs> um, so yeah, the cult of the cat story that I mentioned earlier, the Egyptian death cult one, that was great. Moonchild was kind of Misty's version of Stephen King's Carrie, very similar, like. Pat was good at doing that, wasn't he? Like, sort of... Crips, <laughs> as they used to call it. Yeah, change it very slightly. So, yeah, so that was, that was Misty's carry. Um, there was Paint It Black, which was one I really enjoyed. As a girl, she finds this haunted set of watercolours, and every time she painted with the watercolours, she got possessed by the, the ghost of the dead artist who'd owned them before. That was a really good one. Um, oh, Four Faces of Eve, that was another absolute classic so this poor girl she kind of slowly pieces together that she's some kind of frankenstein's monster cobbled together from like the corpses of various different dead girls and then reanimated and the people she thought were her parents were actually the scientists in charge of the experiment it's a it's, a, it's an awful story you feel for it so much <laughs> because it's one of those ones where like you know like another penny drops and another penny drops and you're just thinking oh my god how much worse could this get you know it, it was one of those that was a great story oh and there was another short one that stuck in my head I can't even remember what it was called it was like about this pair of ballet shoes that wouldn't stop dancing the poor girl's feet got ripped to shreds and the drawing of her her toes just wrecked oh god (laughs) (laughs) so yeah there there were so many so many and you've got you've got the long form serialized stories and then all of these like little shorter sort of future shock equivalents and they were great and they ran across Every type of like horror, supernatural theme you could imagine, even with a bit of sci-fi thrown in, Sentinels was really more of a sci-fi story than anything. Lots of good comeuppances for bad people, lots of ghosts, lots of lots of reincarnation. They really like reincarnation stories. A few vampires here and there, a few werewolves, human sacrifices, a bit of time travel, all sorts. Never a stinker. It was great. <laughs> and- if I take you back to a couple of those stories, Roots um, is a is a is a great sort of folk horror yeah. about a small community who literally have put down roots, haven't they? Yeah, and like sort of, it's just that the very last panel, it's like a big panel at the end of the story, and she's she's gone to visit her grandfather in in this village, and like he takes off his boots and he's like his whole feet are like vines and sort of, oh, and it's just, I can just remember just like literally having nightmares about that. It was, it was brilliant, but it's like, and her, it's slowly dawning on her that she was never going to leave that village because she, you know, now she was there, she would also like, you know, be literally rooted to the place and she'd slowly turn as well. Yeah. God, I love a bit of folk horror. Honestly, so many of my tastes. I blame Pat Mills for everything. Right. Because <laughs> so many of my tastes in story or like just general sort of anything, like either came from early 2000 AD or from Misty. And I can put, I can trace back almost everything I like to a story in one of those two. So, yeah, 
I've, I, I often tell people that I think Pat had more influence on me than my own parents <laughs> in terms of the person I've grown up into. He's got a lot to answer for. And the other story I was going to mention is go back to the Sentinels, because I remember from my reading of the Sentinels in recent years, and also from hearing you talk to Tony about it, there's a famous moment in the Sentinels where the family dog gets into trouble in the in a um, in a sewer, I think, um, and there are there are rats, I believe. Yes, and it doesn't it doesn't end well for the dog. It doesn't end well for the dog. I remember it upsetting Tony because he's a, you know. Um, but in this book, of course, we've got. I was really, really worried about Tony reading that. <laughs> um, on page 49 of this book, in the Black Widow story, we sort of get the reverse because we get a giant spider in the sewers or in the, uh, the underground yeah. um, feeding on the rats this time. <laughs> And that's a memorable page, exactly. isn't it? Revenge. Yes. Oh, absolutely, yeah, where he's like the spider's got that rat in his pincers and he's lifted him up and just about to, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. There is definitely some symmetry between that. The, the panels look very similar to the, to the scene in the Sentinels with the, uh, with the, with the rats, definitely. Yeah. And, no, I hadn't, hadn't thought of that, but you're right. I was just looking at it while you were talking about the Sentinels and remembering that passage or that episode from the Sentinels where it gets very grim in the sewers. Um, yeah, it doesn't go well for the dog. Um, yeah. Now, the Treasury have put out five collections of Misty, I think. There's the first one, which has got yeah. Moonchild and the Four Faces of Eve. Then there's the Sentinels and uh, End of the Line. Yeah. There was a Wolf Girl one. There's the Hardback... Yeah. Uh, Geordie Badia Romero collection, which I've got here in front of me. Uh, and then, of course, now this one, Misty Presents, the Jaume Romeo collection. Have you? Did you get all the others? I haven't. I've got all of them except the Wolf Girl one. Oh, right. Which I really ought to rectify. I just, I just, I think, I think the first couple I actually picked up in like the local comic shop and then I don't, and then I bought the hardback online, if I remember rightly. But I think I just haven't, come across the wolf girl one and haven't got around to buying it yet so it's it's you know it's remiss of me and i will plug that gap but yeah i've got all the others um and you can guess which one's my favorite <laughs> yes i should imagine it's volume two the sentinels and end of the line <laughs> it is it is although like the first one's great too because both moon child and four faces of eve are great stories so yeah they're all good and uh, I guess if you were going to just pick the one volume to recommend to somebody, then it would still be the Sentinels one, would it? I think so. I just, I, I just think it's a perfect story, and I, well, nothing's perfect, but it's as perfect as a story gets. And I, I think it's the best example. I like to show people how different kids' comics were in those days, and I don't think you can get more shocking in that respect than the sentinels because i don't think you would get a kid's comic nowadays where a lot of the things that happen in that stories happen so you've got you know you've got the poor dog in the sewers you've got the whole sort of like swastika element and everything and all the nazis and they just they wouldn't they wouldn't dare put that in a little girl's story now um and even things like um at the end you know like sort of how they're their dad sort of swapped himself for one of the dads in the resistance and, and, and effectively is like left in the prison to die. And, and, and you know, there's some, there's some harsh ends for some of the characters 
And I just don't think that nowadays that would be in a comic aimed at eight-year-old girls. And so The Sentinels, to me, is just the perfect example of this is what we grew up reading. And this is why we are the way we are. (laughs) It's like those books, Scarred for Life, which are working their way through the 70s and 80s, talking about pop culture that we consumed back then. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, I mean, the, if you think of what we were exposed to when we were younger, like that blooming, what was it, Threads, the nuclear oh. documentary thing. Oh, no. Like I mean, <laughs> we, there, was, there was some harrowing, harrowing things that, that we were, I mean, we weren't sneakily reading or watching stuff that was aimed at older people. These were things that were, you know, we were encouraged to read and view at a very young age. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I think I think it's great. <laughs> Kids like scary stuff. Kids I'm, like to be scared, and uh, of course yeah. they do. And you know, misty stories, the creepy cults, and uh, um, hypnosis and mind control, and all those uh, weird cats and puzzles and mirrors that you would fall into. It's all great stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't. I mean, I I presume from the fact that it folded after two years that it wasn't. It wasn't selling brilliantly, though, which is a pity. So maybe there weren't as many uh, weird proto-goth girls around <laughs> as, as I thought. I think the, some of the other more traditional girls' comics were a lot more popular. But I, I think those of us that were reading it absolutely loved it. It's strange that you know a couple of comics from this era, uh, their reputation grew and grew after they folded. Uh, Misty, obviously, yeah. um, Scream got cancelled because of industrial yeah. action, um, but their reputation sort of just increases over time, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's like sort of cult movies and stuff that bomb at the box office, but then by twenty years later, everybody wants to watch them same thing sometimes things i think if they're sufficiently different or unusual maybe it takes people a little while to get their head around them and by the time they have they've run out of money and folded but you know that takes people a little while to warm up to certain ideas maybe yeah i will just mention while we're talking about it that the first three volumes of misty are included in the current Humble Bum Bundle 2018 Masters of British Comic Collection um, if people want it digitally. So, um, and that is raising a small amount of money for the Cartoon Museum in London at the same time. That's the charity, I think, this time. So that's a, you know, there's a big Humble Bundle at the moment. It's got the first three volumes digitally in it. And I say that because I've just got it myself. (laughs) I was at the Cartoon Museum. Last week or the week before. Oh, you were. That's right. You had a trip, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's it was good to see their new uh, their new digs. They're very cool. Yeah, very funky. I hope to be there myself in a couple of weeks' time before this podcast comes out. But anyway, yeah, uh, I will report back myself as well. Let me turn you back to this collection then to start with, because we're going to play the Grail Page game. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you. or I'm going to imagine that the original art survives, which, of course, we know for a lot of misty yeah. art, it doesn't. But if it did survive and you could have a page yeah. or two from this collection, what would you choose? Right. I, it took me ages to choose. I'm, I'm so picky. It's, as you say, it's only a game. It's not even real, so I don't know why I got so obsessed with it. But <laughs> in the end, I went, for, I went for the cover page from the sixth 
segment of Black Widow. So that's page 25 in the book, which is where Sadie's caught in the web. I just think that's beautifully drawn. Yes. And it's, yeah, that's so I, I went with that one. And I like the fact that I get the, uh, the hand-drawn title at the top as well, because I should imagine that that's real and wasn't added on later. So that I should imagine that's on the... Stuck on the, the page. Or, yeah. Yeah. So page 25 yeah, from this that, collection. Yeah, that was the one I went for. Okay, that one's an absolute stunner. It was one of the ones that caught my eye as well. Um, it's that sort of great tradition that 2000 AD also did, which was like, you know, um, put a character trapped in a giant spider's web on the cover um, and it, it always sells, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, well, they had plenty of opportunity for that in this story. Yes. Yeah. I'll just quickly, I think I'm going to choose page 45, which is the giant spider and the rats in the sewer. Um, I'm going to, put, you know, snap a yeah. picture of that and I'll put that up on social media when this episode comes out, along with your page, Sarah. Um, and even though we can't get them real. Yeah, that is a great page too. It's great fun, isn't it? There's a giant spider's shadow, there's a giant spider. I'm not sure about the reproduction on the bottom left panel. That might be a little bit faded but uh if we had the original art we could see okay let's widen the game out and make it even harder for you let's give you all of misty and in particular let's give you is it mario capaldi's art from the sentinels um what what pages would you choose from the whole thing well now you're talking um (laughs) i mean it should be i should go for one of Shirley Bellwood's covers, her painted covers, because they were beautiful, they were iconic. Although my favourite cover is actually, it's issue 34, so it's not one of Shirley's. Um, And that is a cover where you've basically got all these concentric circles and eyes and then like a screaming girl's face in the middle. And it's really sort of greens and yellows. It's really unusual colouring. And I have been toying with the idea of getting that as a tattoo for about the last 30 years. And I'm going to, one day I might still do it. That's my favorite ever Misty cover. But I mean, there's only one choice for the Grail page, hands down. And that's got to be the opening page of the Sentinels. So that's like Mario Capaldi. So that's, he was a lot more Scottish than he sounds. Sounds Italian, doesn't he? Um, (laughs) So that's the opening page from the first, like sort of, issue of the sentinel so that's the one that's got it's got the two tower blocks uh like one in disrepair one brand new it's got the punks are all okay graffiti on the wall which always makes me laugh because there's a question mark on it so it says punks are all okay <laughs> like, which makes no sense but i've always loved that um and then you've got like this mad perspective so it's like it's been the picture you know if it was a photograph it's like the photo has been taken by somebody literally lying on their stomach looking up with the camera because you've got this cat walking past and the perspective makes the cat look huge uh and it's it's the i mean it's the image that they use colorized for the cover of the second book collection but the original version with black and white and i prefer it in black and white and it's just it's, a, it's an image that burned itself into my head in 1978 it's never gone away and and again like you know how i say it, i can i can trace every aspect of my life back to misty because i'm sure i mean i went through i mean like when i read that story i was 10 
By right. the time I was 16, I had a Mohican. I was hanging out down King's Road. I ended up marrying a punk rocker. I run a punk record label for years. Used to do gig promotion and everything. I swear that's from the punks were all okay written on the wall. Right. And the graffiti, the graffiti on the wall, I mean, look what I've ended up doing. So I, I, that image has been such a big deal to me. I've even got a cat now. Look. <laughs> and I did for, for a while. live in a towel a lot, but I don't anymore. But like, yeah, that, that, if I, yeah, I, I wonder if I, it was, I wonder if that page still exists in a private collection somewhere. It would be, I wouldn't, couldn't afford to own it, but I'd love to see it. Yeah. Because it just means so much to me. Yeah. I guess yeah, David so that, Roach so might know uh, whether or not any mm. of these survive. I've got those two images up in front of me now yeah. at the moment, the cover to 34, which is psychedelic yeah, weird. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Oh, it's great, yeah. And then yeah. the first page of the Sentinels as well, which is just fabulous. So I'll post those as well. They become yours virtually. And I think you haven't chosen the same pages Thank as you. Julia Round, so that's all right. We've 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 stuck to the rules of the game. I don't, I don't have to fight her. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fantastic. <laughs> So I should say that uh, Misty Presents the Joe Rumio collection is available for $14.99 from the Treasury and 2000 AD shop, uh, or it's $9.99 digitally. Um, I don't know if it's turned up on their new on the new Kindle Comicsology platform yet, because some of the 2000 AD titles have started turning up there slightly cheaper. So it might be worth looking at that as well. And right. As I say, there's that humble bundle at the moment, which has got the first three the volumes yeah. um, digitally, uh, plus loads of other 2000 AD stuff. And, of course, that Masters of the British Comic Art book by David Roach as well, which is... Um, That's an amazing book, isn't it? That is an amazing book, yeah. I'm still waiting for somebody to pick that and come on the book club and talk to me about it. But, yeah, that is an amazing book on my bookshelf, I can see from here. Yep. Great stuff. Oh, well, that's fantastic, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on. I know I twisted your arm into this one particular book because it's come out recently and we managed to get a copy. But uh, uh, it's great to talk about Misty, as you say. No, this... I, I really I really enjoyed reading it, yeah. Good. Tell us, you mentioned spray uh, art, street art, graffiti and so on, because um, tell us about your own work that you uh, that you do currently. Oh, I mean, it is work now. I've just launched a little business doing it but yeah spray painting I've I've hung around graffiti people for as long as I can remember so for like the last sort of 15-20 years like most weekends in the summer I'm like at some spray paint event or other just sitting around watching other people paint but I'd never done it myself until the first lockdown so like sort of April 2020 and in the first lockdown because this was before bubbles you know where you could see people who weren't from your household sort of thing like my other half and I don't live together so I couldn't he couldn't come to my house I couldn't go to his house so the only way we could see each other is if we went for a walk outside or whatever I think that was that was allowed in the law and he is a graffiti artist so he was always painting and so I spent most of the first sort of couple of months of lockdown just kind of sitting in abandoned factories watching him paint very bored because <laughs> because I wasn't painting. He's like, why don't you have a go? And I'm like, no, no, no. It, it, I, I tried it once. I couldn't do it. I, I like to paint with a brush. It's easier. Uh, spray paint's too difficult. 
So he said, no, go on, because you're just sitting there like reading comics, moaning that you're cold. Why don't you have a go? So I had a go and it wasn't too bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't too bad. But it was enough to for me to think, OK, maybe I'll spend this lockdown time practicing and see if I can get any better at this. Um, and I've got really, really hooked. So for the last two years or whatever, I've, I've been out pretty much every weekend painting, which is great. And it's it's funny because all my graffiti friends are like, you know, we told you you'd, you'd enjoy it. You know, we've been telling you for years to have a go. <laughs> so, um, so it's nice. So it means when I go to the events now, I'm not just sitting watching and heckling. I'm, I'm joining in. So that's good. Um, but yeah, a couple of months ago, I launched a little business like sort of, you know, painting murals in people's gardens and stuff. And it's kept me very busy ever since, uh, which is which is a nice problem to have. I haven't had a day off for months, apart from that one day that I went down to London and went to the Cartoon Museum. That's the, I think that's the only day off I've had in the last three months since I launched this little venture. So, yeah, it's going well. Excellent. And is that youpayispray.co.uk? Um, is that you? That's me, yeah. I know it's an awful name, isn't it? I thought, I thought that's a fun little pun, but I, you know, I'll look and see if anybody else has used it. But because it is awful, nobody had, so I quickly registered the domain. And then I thought, oh, that's why have I called it that? But yeah, you pay, I spray. <laughs> Fantastic. I will put the note, uh, the link in the show notes to this episode. And uh, we keep talking about Tony Esmond. The Awesome Comics podcast this last week, we're talking about um, time traveling back to uh, a particular yeah. comic story or something like that. And I know their guest chose Un American Graffiti in 2000 AD for the first appearance of Chopper as a graffiti artist. Yeah. And I know. I love Chopper. <laughs> I thought you would. <laughs> yeah, no, it was great because I was I was walking up to Tesco's listening to the podcast when they started waxing lyrical about Chopper, and I was wearing my Chopper T-shirt, and I was really excited. I'm like, oh wow, what a serendipitous moment! Here, here I am in my Chopper T-shirt walking around Tesco's listening to people talk about Chopper. But yeah, he was he was my favourite sort of dread universe character in 2000 AD. I love Chopper. Yeah, great stuff, Chopper. And as you say, starting out like that uh, street artist or um, I suppose high-rise street artist. Scrawler. <laughs> yeah, scrawler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I still call myself a scrawler now. <laughs> and I mentioned at the start that you were an editor as well because I want to mention the Drawn Under the Influence comics anthology that came out last year as well. Um, how did this start? Um, I got drunk. Um, <laughs> that's how it started. So, so yeah, we were we were on the the awesome comics drink and draw that they did um, regularly during lockdown. We're still doing them, but not quite as often. But um, so over Zoom, we were having like sort of drink and draw socials. And I have zero tolerance to alcohol. I drink maybe I don't know three times a year tops, and it doesn't you know one glass of wine and and I'm a mess you know like because because I don't do it very often and on this particular drink and draw I'd had a little bit too much to drink which is probably two glasses of wine and somebody was talking I think one of the attendees sort of just threw a question out to the group and said oh does anybody know of any anthologies that are worth submitting short stories to because I'd like to you know get I've got a few ideas for some stories but I don't know where to send them because 
there used to be a lot of small press anthologies with like open submissions, but there don't seem to be as many around nowadays. So they were just asking for ideas. And so me being drunk me, I was like, why don't we do our own? Uh, I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll organise it. I'll do all the work. Uh, and I don't, uh, you know, it was one of those, like, you wake up the next morning and say, what have I, what have I done? <laughs> Why? Because literally by the next morning in my emails, there were, I think, about 15 story submissions. Blimey. By nine o'clock the next day. And I was like, oh, God, what, 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 what have I said I would do? <laughs> uh and to the extent that I was like, I said, to, I was talking to Tony the next morning and saying, oh, God, I, I can't do this. And he's like, do, do you want me to, you know, get you out of it? And I'm like, no, no, I'm too, I'm too proud and stubborn to, to step down. I like a challenge. I'll do it. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's how it started. But, yeah, it, it was good. It was a lot of work. Yes. Um, um, and I don't have an awful lot of spare time, but. You know, so, so I, there, were, there were a lot of late nights <laughs> um, and it was a big learning curve for me because I don't know how to use Photoshop and stuff. I'm, I'm a very analog person. So things like working out how to sort of, you know, get it all ready for print and put all the page numbers on and all that stuff. I was like uh, tearing my hair out a bit, but it was it, it was a really good experience um, and, and and it turned out well, I think. Um, I mean, I was lucky in as much as there were so many submissions that I could, you know, be fairly picky. So it meant that, you know, like it was, it was everything that ended up in the book, I'm, I think was, you know, worth, worth a spot. Um, so, yeah, it was it was it was a, an interesting experience, but a, yeah, a lot of work. <laughs> So let me just make, say what it is. It's it's a or describe it. It's an A4 oh, yes. prestige format, sort of square bound comics anthology. Beautiful paper uh, in color, um, an anthology with contributions from some book clubbers, including Damien Edwardson, uh, Gary Hills in there, Gareth A. Hopkins, Tony Esmond obviously is in there. And it is fantastic. I mean, it's a great project drawn under the influence. And the other thing I should mention, of course, is that it raised money for charity. It raised money for refuge, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. We, I think the, the final tally was 890-something, so just shy of £900. Um, so that was fantastic. Most of that was from sales of the book, but a couple of people, you know, sort of added sent extra donations as well so i think about 700 was from sales of the book and then about 200 from people you know buying a book and adding an extra fiver when they bought it you know and stuff like that and saying add that to the pot um so yeah i was i was blown away because i as you as you pointed out lovely paper i mean i didn't skimp on the print quality so i had a fair bit to cover you know before it started making a profit at all and i was i would have been happy i think with it making about 300 for charity you know just like making sure that it paid for itself and made a little bit um so the fact that it completely sold out and uh, and we raised so much money i was i was delighted because it's a it's a cause that's very close to my heart 
Indeed. It's, I mean, it's a great book. It's a great cause. Uh, well done. What's it like wrangling all those small press creators, the sort of people who All those go egos. To, sorry. <laughs> yeah, all those egos. <laughs> uh, it, it was good. Most people, I mean, I, I did get a bit, I at first, I mean, I'm sort of quite a, you know, I'm a nice person. I don't like upsetting people. And I was th- at first I was thinking, oh, you know, if I need to change anything or if I don't think something's quite, you know, up to standard to get in, you know, sort of will I be able to tell people? But I don't know what it was. Sort of as soon as I had my editor hat on, I was like, I was quite ruthless. And like, I've, uh, and I hope nobody got too upset. There was only one contributor who will not be named who I think I did wind up because I was changing things and they were getting quite defensive <laughs> um, and you know, didn't like didn't like the amends that I was making. But everybody else, uh, you know, was a de- I mean, not that he wasn't a delight to work with, but every you know everybody else sort of graciously took my took my uh, my comments and, uh, and 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 made changes where I I thought tweaks needed to be made. Um, but yeah, I mean, like sort of different people wanted or needed more hand-holding than others you know so some people sort of wanted me involved at every step and through through it so first of all you know I've got this idea for a story can you work with me on that here's the script what do you think and then like help me find an artist and then you know sort of here's the first page of art what do you think and so you know so so some stories I was really involved throughout others you know sort of people just ran the idea past me. I said, "Yeah." They went off and did the whole lot, and it came back, and it was, and it was fine. You know, so yeah. some people uh, uh, didn't didn't need as, as 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 much sort of reassurance through through the process. I suppose. I mean, some of them are more, more experienced with this sort of thing than others. I mean, we've got quite quite a few people in there where it was their first ever, like sort of you know published, you know, work, or even sort of you know for a couple of them, like the first time they've drawn up a comic strip at all you know, sort of, you know, published or not. So, um, so, so, so yeah, some people were more experienced in the process than others. Um, and obviously I was totally inexperienced. I was the most inexperienced of the lot. So, uh, so we were all learning together, really. Fantastic. And as you say, in hard copy, it sold out. But I yep. think you can still get it digitally. And I'll put the link for that in the show yes. notes as well. Yeah, we'll leave the digital one up forever, I suppose. I did tried to put it on Comixology, but they rejected it. And I can't remember why now. But because I knew that things were about to change the Comixology anyway, I wasn't too bothered about the fact that they turned it down because I figured that it would probably be falling off there soon enough anyway. And I, I will eventually put it on Comic House. I thought I'd like sort of give everybody the opportunity to buy it, seeing as it is for charity, try and make sure I get, you know, all the money out of it that we're going to get out of it. And then we'll pop it up on Comic House for everybody else to read um at some point i probably ought to do that quite soon really because i think the uh i think the digital sales have, have have pretty much finished now right unless i get a sudden burst after this, this maybe <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the, the, the physical sales were great yes i was gonna say it's not even just to comic people like i sold about 25 copies of my work to oh, right. people who've never read a comic in their life and they all read them I had a few people coming to me about Gareth Hopkins' story, which, uh, you know, not wanting to spoil too much, is about somebody who ends up making love to a giant spider, which is very appropriate for the Misty story that we've just been talking about. And um, it's in Gareth's normal sort of surreal 
abstract sort of style. art, yes. People coming up to me at work afterwards saying, you said these are your friends did these stories. I said, yeah, and they're like, <laughs> your friends are weird. <laughs> they're weird. I said, yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> but they all enjoyed it. Yeah. And again, I know Gary Hill, this was his, because uh, he wrote a story for it, and he's, um, that was his first published comic work, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know that I'm quite excited about the fact that if any of them ever get like ridiculously famous, we've got their uh, first, appearance. first stories. Yeah. I'll have to do a, have to do a reprint because it'll suddenly be uh, <laughs> suddenly be in much demand. I think I've got about four copies left that I'm holding on to just in case. <laughs> just in case one of them suddenly gets the big Marvel Cinematic Universe it's, it's gig. It's the big or time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Best appearance of Lil Red. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Uh, or in case of uh, one of Tony's stories, lots of red. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> Great stuff. Any plans for another one at all? Or was that once enough? I said that I wouldn't probably wouldn't do the editing again, but if somebody else wanted to sit in the editor's chair, I'd love to contribute a story so my my idea is to throw that back to the drink and draw community and say yeah let's do another one but maybe the editor should be a rotating job Sounds because i'm in very no sensible. mad rush to do it again <laughs> <laughs> it is a beautiful book and yeah. one of the best sort of quality small press comics you're going to find i think isn't it i was so happy when i sort of you know first held that physical sort of book in my hand and it was like it's like this is my baby. I, I helped bring this into uh, into existence. So yeah, I, I was really really pleased with the whole finished product. And of course, we won an Akoska from Eleven O'clock Comics, which is very exciting. Yes, uh, one of their um, one of their presenters uh, named it as their favourite anthology of the whole year, which was very validating. Because I don't know if you've ever worked on a project where you're so close to it that by the end you can't even tell if it's good or not. Sure. You know, because you've been, I I got to that point by the time the book came out, and I kind of didn't know anymore if it was good or not. And so, for somebody independent of it to choose it as the, and somebody who reads as many comics as those guys on Eleven O'clock do, to say that it was their, the best anthology they'd read that year, that was that that made my day. So uh, so yeah, meant the world. Fantastic. Check the links in the show notes to get yourself a digital copy of DUI, uh, a wonderful anthology featuring many, many book clubbers in it. So, uh, yeah, great stuff, Sarah. And thank you for picking, uh, or rather for coming on to talk about Misty and uh, fill me in a bit more on this wonderful comic that I missed out on. Yeah, it was was so good. It was so good. Some of the annuals are really good as well, but they go for silly money. Like the you can't pick them up ludicrously cheaply. I've seen them on sale for like sort of 70, 80 pounds, the old Misty annuals. But if you ever come across one cheaply, they're worth picking up as well. Right. Snag it. Uh, okay. Great stuff, Sarah. Thank you so much. You are welcome. And thank you to everyone for listening to Megacity Book Club. As ever, find links to all of Sarah's work uh, at megacitybookclub.com. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, the 2000E forums, 
or email mcbcpodcast at gmail.com with comments about Misty or suggestions for books that you'd like to come on and cover yourself. And that will do us. Until next time when we're passing judgment on another great book, goodbye from me and... Goodbye. Bye.